So let me take you to a time back a number of years ago when this group heard of the Holy Spirit being poured out somewhere else. And so they were smart and they decided to have two weeks of prayer meetings praying every day. Often happens when God's about to move, people start, these prayer meetings start happening every day. Just an interesting thing because revival is born after midnight. So you just go that extra. Anyway, they started to do that. And they started asking God for a send a Pentecost. So during the two weeks of prayer, God started to deal with church members, so kind of get things sorted out in their lives. And then on a Sunday night service, God turned up. And at the end of the service, before the pastor could make a call for salvation, people started jumping up from all over the crowd and making their way to respond to give their lives to Jesus. How many of you would like to see that happen? Like even right right now, someone jumps up and runs to the front and says, what must I do to be saved? Who reckons that would be pretty exciting? Or would you rather it just be all formalized? (laughs) You know, that no one can get saved until the altar call. No, that's what happened uh, during those two weeks and um, uh, before he could give that altar call. And uh, in that service, that one service, 119 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. So I started imagining 119 people. What would that look like? So if you get right from that corner, they'll be lined up right across here, right down here. There might be about 25 here, do you reckon? Maybe 30, 40. So maybe 50 across here. So then you'd have to have a, bring them right to the front. Then a second row behind them, another 50 behind there. That's 100 people. And then, what, 119. And so then a few of them would have to be down in the aisles. Who reckons that would be a pretty exciting service? Happened because this church decided to have prayer meetings every night for two weeks. That's all they did, two weeks. The following Sunday, following, uh, sorry, the following day, another 38 people gave their lives to Christ, and the reaping went on until over 1,000 people had been born again by the Spirit of God. Wow. Friends, when God turns up, <laughs> when God turns up, everyone say, when God turns up, when God turns up, when God turns up, when God turns up, wow. Amazing things happen. And among those who got saved, many had never been to church. Some of your relatives. Many had been in prison. Drunkards, gamblers. I like the next bit. Woman, quite drunk, would stagger into meetings and be soundly converted while standing in the building. When God turns up. Wow, that's why I get so excited about believing for revival. All you're doing is talking about the Bible, friends, in um, revival. All you're doing is talking about the Bible in the book of, on the day of Pentecost. This is the sort of thing that happened. God just showed up and transformed the known world. There was another place, let me give you another one. In a night service, the Spirit of God so moved among the people that in different parts of the building, many were falling on their knees and crying out to God. See, some of those down in the back rows there, it's up in the balcony down here, just suddenly they're on their knees. Not because anyone said anything. It's because God has turned up. When God turns up, and they're crying out to God for, for mercy and grace, they're having a moment, they're having an encounter. Some of the, they said in this one, some of the roughest men, you know, you think the hardened guys, that nothing can get them. They're on their knees weeping and reaching out to God. 
I'm just praying it's going to happen right now. Someone's going to fall on it. I'm just waiting. Come on, God. Come on, Holy Ghost. Get someone. <laughs> Get someone now in this service. Wouldn't that be amazing? Anyway, that's what happened. And that Pentecost Sunday was saved. After that, many unsaved poured into the church week by week. They just started coming from all over the place. They just started turning up. And uh, many who had long ago had been considered hopeless cases. And in that service or that church there, at least 150 were saved and added to the church with an evidence of people's lives deeply, inwardly transformed. Don't you want those kind of salvations? Wouldn't that be amazing? So friends, as we keep praying and believing God, this is where we're heading. Just giving you a bit of a picture of what God can do because uh, it's exciting when God turns up. In fact, some of you know John Ben. He's in our church and he's probably looking after online right now and does a great job. He told me just uh, on Tuesday, he said he was in a meeting a few decades ago. I think it might have been on, uh, well, I don't know where, or somewhere. yeah, somewhere, in, in, in New Zealand. He was in, I, I can't quite remember where it was, but anyway, it was many years ago, and he said the Holy Spirit just turned up. Yeah. Just turned up. And he said a, a brethren person had turned up in a meeting for some unknown reason, what he's doing there. He turned up and he said to John afterwards, he said, you know, he said, for 34 years, my Christian walk has just been in a rut. And he said, in a moment, the Holy Spirit has come and transformed my life. I wonder if there's anyone here today and your Christian walk is in a rut. It's a little bit boring. There's nothing exciting. You listen to this stuff and you think, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, it's just, it's, it's pretty dull. Get ready. Get ready. God is about to come. He's about to come and do something in your life like he did with that brethren guy in a moment. Imagine, imagine in this service, you just got absolutely set on fire, and you just walked out of this place, almost bouncing out of this place. Friends, that's what God wants to do. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing for. All right, so let me um, give you some reasons. How will we be revived? How does it work? Well, just these are some thoughts. There's many ways God's started, but the first word I want to give you is Disruption. Everyone say disruption. Ask the person next to you, do you like disruption? (laughs) Disruption. So if you want a better future, you must disturb the present. If you want a, how many of you want a better future? (laughs) You want a better future, you've got to disturb the present. Present. And right now, as I travel overseas in New Zealand, I am disturbing the present. And I'm stirring things up and I'm saying, hey guys, we can do better. Come on, this is not good enough. God's got more for us. And so we're disturbing the present. You know, God's done some wonderful things in our church and in your life over the past, but He wants to take you another level. To go to another level often involves disruption. We don't like disruption, but God is something that God tends to do. We want to see more miracles, more revival, more salvations. Uh, To move forward, God often prepares us through disruption. For example, if you plant an oak tree, you can be sure all the soil around it is going to be disrupted. Do you know when you get on fire for God, you start disrupting all the people around you. You start unsettling them. They say, hey, why are you so excited? Why do you have to sing so loud? Why do you have to jump up and down? You know, you're disrupting people. 
So what happens, friends, when God begins to turn up and disruption doesn't disturb us and other people around us, but progress involves disruption. You know, COVID was a disruption. How many felt disrupted by COVID? Yeah, and you know what happened through COVID? This is what I've noticed. Some people move forward. I mean, COVID set me on fire, all right? Now, some people just stayed the same and others went backwards. See, disruption, three effects. Moves you forward, you does, does nothing for you, you just think, oh, I'll grin and bear it, or you actually go backwards. And sadly, too many in the church, through disruption, God was wanting to move them forward, and they actually went backwards, the complete opposite of what God is after. Because in disruption, God is always wanting to move you forward. That's why he disturbs the present, because he's got a better future for you. Tell the person next to you, God's got a better future for you. <laughs> yeah. He really has. He's got a better future for you. And you know, right through history, right through history, through scripture, God has used divine disruption to reorientate his servants and to move them, change their direction and move them forward into his purposes. So Paul on the road to Damascus, you know, minding his own business, he has a divine disruption. God turns up and his life is redirected and changed forever. Moses is minding his business out in, the, out in the 40 years in the wilderness, and he is suddenly, his life is disrupted by a burning bush that moves him into the direction of his destiny. It was a divine disruption, not what he was looking for. Then you have David, he's out on the fields just looking after sheep. Suddenly he gets called to the party, and out of nowhere, he, a divine disruption, he has anointed the next king over Israel. God is into divine disruption because he wants to move you forward. So right now, I'm asking you a question. Has God disrupted your life? Has God changed things up? Has God done something and you're thinking, what on earth is going on? I'm here to tell you what's going on. God has disrupted your life because he wants to move you forward, not backwards. He doesn't want to take you down. He wants to take you up. That's why he disrupts you. So don't fight disruption. Don't resist disruption. Embrace it. Embrace it. I'll tell you why. Because God knows what he's doing. And you don't. Hello? God knows what he's doing. But you say it doesn't make sense. Whenever did God make sense? You say, I don't understand God. Well, nor do I. Divine disruption. People sitting here today, and God has disrupted your life in the last week, months, maybe a few years, and you're still sitting and wondering what on earth is going on. Embrace it. We spend our lives fighting disruption that God wants to use to move us forward. It takes humility to say, actually, God, I think you do know what you're doing. I'm going to make a statement right now. God is more in control of your life than you think. And the devil's not running your life. God's running your life. But so often we don't think that. We think, oh, well, this is this and this is that and... The enemy's got in here and the devil's done this and I've made this mistake and all that. No, 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 flag. God's bigger than all those things. 
He actually is running your life, and he knows what he's doing. So, divine disruption. Can I add to that? Blessed are the fixable, for they shall not break. Ask the person next to you, how flexible are you? Some of you have stopped listening, but can you just listen for a moment? (laughs) You can't keep doing what you've always done if you want a better future. When will you, listen, and when will I finally have enough of getting the same results from the same behavior before we make significant changes? How long are you gonna keep living your life the way you've lived it for many years or many months and you keep getting the same result from the same behavior and you're not happy with the results you want something better, but there's something in us, friends, that we just get onto rote, we get on the treadmill, we just go round and round and round, we think, why is nothing changing? How come I'm not getting revived? How come I'm not under the blessing of God? How come, you know, I haven't got the peace, all that stuff. When are we gonna get to the point we've had enough so we make significant changes? Meaning we disrupt our lives. Meaning we disturb our lives to bring some change and to bring some transformation into our situation. So how could you disturb your present? What could you do? Can I make some suggestions? Are you ready for this? How you could disturb your present? How about you get up 20 minutes earlier to pray? You think, can't do that. That's too much of a disruption. (laughs) All right, try something else. How about getting to work 15 minutes early? I saw five people faint at the back there. (laughs) To pray for your colleagues or to get ready for the day. I mean, your boss will get shocked too. I'm just trying to think of how you could you disrupt. How about um, coming to a prayer meeting? That would disrupt things up a bit, wouldn't it? How about, oh, here we go. Have a neighbor for coffee. Start serving in church. I'm going to go deeper now. Forgive that person that's hurt you. Divine disruption, folks. We've got to change it up. Do something different. How about, well, we've already heard about it. Start giving. Start tithing. That's a disruption. Get water baptized. Turn off the TV. Okay, no response there. Uh, Here we go. No movies for a month. Tell the person next to you, no movies for a month. Well, they've got a lot of talk going. Here's another one. Here's another one. You ready? Half the time you spend on your phone. There's got to be a clap in the house for that one, surely. Hey? Half it. Half it. I, I, I personally, I believe God's gonna start dealing with the phone issue. I just do. I think it's destroying lives. 
I think it's distracting people away from the purposes of God. They no longer communicate well with other people. There's just so much stuff happening. I mean, even the government's going to ban them in schools, and I'm about to ban them in church. And some people think I'm joking. We've got to do it. Bring this thing. Oh, but I need to take notes. Get a pen and paper. <laughs> All right, better move on from that. <laughs> um, hey, disturb the present. Register for New Zealand and beyond. Hey, how about that one? You've never, yeah, no, I can't do that. Hey, might just change your life. And probably, it probably actually will. All right, so there you go. Disturb your present. So the first thing is disruption. Second way we get revived is find someone who has something. No, no, not money. <laughs> find someone who has something in God and then get alongside them and let them revive you or be revived. You know, it's impartation. You know, fire spreads very, very quickly. So when you choose your friends, I've said it so many times, but I need to keep saying it, you choose your destiny. When you choose your friends, you choose your future. So have a good look at what your future looks like by looking at the people you surround yourself with because that's where you are heading at a rapid rate of knots. Find someone who's got something. See, when I got saved, I got connected to this, this, this guy who was absolutely radically on fire for God. I just hung out with him and I got set on fire myself and basically I've never left, lost it. Find someone with some fire. Find someone who's got something and hang around them. And that's what we see right throughout Scripture. Joshua hung around Moses for long enough that he got the anointing that Moses carried. Elisha hung around Elijah for long enough that he ended up doing twice the miracles that, that Elijah did. You know, the disciples hung around Jesus for long enough that they got filled with the Holy Ghost and the power of God. You know, Timothy hung around Paul long enough that he became a mighty young man of God. Who are you hanging around? Find someone who's got something. You know what amazes me? Is some people find someone who's got nothing. <laughs> and they end up with nothing. Hello? How many of you have seen someone on fire? A year later, they've lost all their fire. Tell you, check out who they hung out with. Don't find someone who's got nothing. Find someone who's got something. Find someone who's got something. Come on and get as close to them as you can. They don't want you around, well, that's another issue. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to do then. Here's the challenge. You be someone who's got something. I don't think anyone heard me. You be someone who's got something so people want to hang around you. Amen? So tell the person next to you, have you got something? <laughs> All right. Number three. 
to be revived, so in tears. Watch this. Psalm 125, verse 5 to 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, is that you? He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, so still sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Like it doesn't make sense. Like this person is the dark night of the soul, bawling their eyes out. You know, people are thinking, you know, when are you going to pull your socks up and get on with it? And yet, months later, years later, you see, man, they're one of the most fruitful people going. And you think, hold on a minute. They're in the dark night of the soul. All they can do is cry, but then they, they, then they end up revived and more fruitful than people who never did any crying. You see, friends, that verse is very, very clear. So God wants us to use times of struggle, times of tears. He wants to use those times to actually revive you and move you forward and take you to higher ground because God is always up to something incredibly good in your life. So that's what tears, because see, tears water the soil. They make the ground fertile. So when you sow into that soil, The scripture is saying, you're going to doubtless come again rejoicing with carrying your sheaves with you. So here's the lesson I wanted us to learn today is keep sowing good seed through your tears. Even though you're crying day and night, keep serving. Keep praying. You know, keep giving. Keep loving people. Keep sacrificing. Keep worshiping. Keep praising. Keep getting to church. Keep getting to prayer meetings. Keep doing what you've always done. Don't back off because you're broken down, because you've got tears, because you're in the dark night of the soul. That is the best time to do your sowing according to the Word of God because you're gonna come back rejoicing, carrying your sheaves with you. So when you're weeping, when you're crying, it's not time to slow down. It's not time to back out. It's not time to take a break. It's not same time to say, I need time to rest up. No, it's time to keep sowing, friends. Sow through the tears. Sow through the pain. Sow through the hurt. Sow through the struggle. And I'm telling you, when you do that, heaven is gonna take note. Heaven will note the weeping saint who is still sowing. Anyone can sow when all is going well. Anyone can pray and worship and lift their hands when God's just given them a miracle. But I reckon heaven takes note when you lift your hands when all hell is broken loose in your life, when you're suffering pain, when you've just been rejected, when you've just been criticized, when you've just been betrayed, when something's just gone wrong in your life, then you come and lift your hands on high and worship the Lord. That's when heaven, I believe, takes note. God uses these things. (laughs) I've said this before, but something we've got to get our heads around. If we just read the Bible, the most successful saints like Moses and Daniel and Joseph and David and Paul and all the rest of them suffered so much. Suffered so much. Suffered so much. Am I not right? 
What about Jesus? The man of sorrows. The man of sorrows. And yet, as a result, they scale the highest heights. Because God uses these things. Though that's those that sow in tears. You end up revived. You end up on higher ground. But let me give you the key. Because tears and pain and sorrow can also destroy you. The key is you've got to respond right. You've got to respond right. Before I get to that, can I just say tears meant so much to God. Psalm 56 verse 8, watch this. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. Well, I mean, why would God collect tears in a bottle? I mean, why would you do that? They'd have to be very precious. Don't resent your tears. Don't try and stop yourself crying. Let it go. Tears are from heaven. It's a God-given gift. Tears. They're not a mistake. They're not something we should be ashamed of. Tears are a good thing. I mean, according to my Bible... Then it says, you have recorded each one in your book. Wow. Incredible, isn't it? Incredible. You keep track of all my sorrows. You think God's forgotten you? You think God doesn't know what's going on in your life? You think he doesn't see your pain and your struggle? My Bible says he, he keeps track of it. Every moment of your life. He knows what is going on. And not only does he know what's going on, he cares what is going on as well at the same time. So Hebrews 4.16, I read this. Let them therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know that come boldly? Do you know what it literally means? It literally means come without reservation with full and open speech. Just read the Psalms. Full and open speech. The Psalmist didn't hold, down, hold back anything. He expressed his heart to God fully, openly. There was no pretense. There was no pretending, God, oh, it's all well, when actually it's not all well. God, I'm okay with, with what's going on when you're not okay with what's going on. When, you, when you know, you're saying God is fair, when you actually don't think he's being fair. Come on. God's not insecure, by the way. He can handle your complaint. He can handle your sorrow. He can handle your criticism. He can handle your resentment. He can handle whatever you think about him. He can handle it. And quite frankly, I think he wants to hear it. Because it's in there anyway. So be honest. Be open with God. Because once you're open with God, I reckon he can come in and then begin to speak to you. If you keep it hidden underneath you, if you underneath think God's not fair, but you're not willing to say it or open up to it, It'll just stay inside you and it'll fester away. If you get it out into the open, God can come on it and begin to minister to you in that area and show you that actually he isn't unfair, that he is is fair all the time. Are you anyone understanding what I'm saying? I think it's time for a bit more honesty in the house of God. Let's stop preparing. Let's stop making up. Everything's working out well. Let's just be honest with God, honest with, with the Lord. Because, you know, I reckon religious people don't like being honest. 
get too religious. The Pharisees, they had all kinds of problems, but they're whitewashed tombs. Bright and shiny on the outside, but full of dead men bone inside. <laughs> so let's just get back to this right responses. If you've got a note in paper, <laughs> write this down somewhere. History turns on a dime. Your whole future turns on a dime. What's a dime? Dime is a courageous decision that takes a moment to make. Your history turns on those decisions. And one of the greatest decisions you can ever make, and some of you may need to make it today, is that in the midst of your trial, your pain and your hurt, you are going to respond right to God in the midst of it. And as you respond right with a humble heart, and allow, you know, just taking it on board that what's going on, God can then use it to bless you, to revive you, take you to higher ground. See, David responded right. Joseph responded right. Daniel responded right. Paul responded right. You know, you go, you go through the whole list, and they responded right to the pain and the struggle and the sorrow and the suffering, and then God took them to higher ground. History turns on a dime. So in the midst of your pain and struggle and suffering, <clears throat> the issue is simple your response. If you fight it, resist it, all that sort of stuff, just blow up about it. Hey, if you do that, do it to God, that's fine, but not to everyone else. Respond right. God can then use it in a phenomenal way and do amazing, amazing things in your life. As you watch, as you make that right response, God, I believe, will leave you astounded. Now, this is true even if you caused your own pain. Even if you made a mistake and so you're struggling because of it. Because, friends, I believe God is greater than your history. Listen, God knew you'd make that mistake anyway. And where there's an abundant mistake, there's an abundant grace. God always provides more than enough in that situation. So don't, don't keep being down on yourself. You know, sure, put it right, get yourself sorted out. But God is able to work all things for good for them that love God.